Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you live in your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, and welcome back to the Black Psychologist Podcast. Appreciate everybody being here. I am one of your humble and gracious hosts and clinicians here for your listening pleasure, Dr. Kyle Osborne, and I'm never by myself. I'm here with my co-host, Diamonds Are Forever, and so is Dr. Jason Coleman. How are you, sir? What's good, bro? What's up, man? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. We're here for a special episode, episode 11. So we are here. We're rocking out. You know, thank you again to everybody that's been listening, watching, comments, subscribing. We appreciate all of it. Um, so here we are for a special episode 11. And the reason why it's special is because we have a special guest. Okay. Well, um, we have our esteemed special guest, the pool of positivity herself, the one and only, the incredible Dr. Ashley Poole. How are you, Doc? Woo! I'm feeling good. I'm excited to join you too. Um, you all have a lot of great conversation all the time. So I'm looking forward to joining in this evening. We appreciate you being here and you making time out of your schedule. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's our pleasure to have you here and you joining us. So it's amazing that you're here. All right. So we're going to get into things. All right. We'll start it off with uh, something that's pretty popular nowadays. Uh, cancel culture. All right. So we're going to get into uh, how cancel culture has become widespread over the last several years. However, it appears that cancel culture um, isn't just reserved for people or those individuals that have made slurs or inappropriate comments or displayed inappropriate behavior. It appears that it's evolved into like a level of personal vindictiveness, okay, where it's like people are going out of their way to find things that people have either said in the past or done in the past or even currently that might be construed as insensitive. And there are an article that, that came across our desk um, talks about that. And it talks about all the unhealthy incentives that are associated with cancel culture. So um, give me your thoughts, guys, as far as cancel culture and your opinions on, on where it stands out now. You can start, Jay. Okay. Dr. Coleman. Okay. Okay. Um, listen, I thought, I'm not saying that this article didn't have any good information, but I thought it was talking about like a bunch of different things all in the same space. Right. Mm -hmm. An example of what I mean by that is like, you know, kind of trying to draw like an equivalence between like civil discord, you know, and, and cancel and, and somebody being canceled. Right. And for me, like the biggest difference is like, if somebody is canceled, Cancel culture is referring to like somebody being canceled for making a mistake, right? Right. But a lot of these issues that we're talking about with these big corporations and a lot of these famous actors, we're not talking about them making mistakes. Like we're talking about a difference in how the public is holding people accountable for like patterns of behavior, right? That's different. You know, I, I'm not for a child or a kid saying something that's off, that might be off color or 
you know, demonstrating like juvenile behavior and being canceled for it, right? One mistake and you pay for it the rest of your life, right? But what kind of mistakes are we talking about? Because it seems like a lot of people are trying to conflate the two things, right? Like you have a lot of people who are making and companies who are being called on the carpet for like systematic, a long pattern of racist or insensitive behavior. And then you have a CEO or somebody saying, oh, we, oh they're just being canceled. No, they're not being canceled. You just have marginalized groups who are kind of feeling and, and, and understanding the momentum of the moment and they're capitalizing on it. So mm-hmm. that's so kind of- I have I a think. question about that. So, because if we're going to like the talk about cancel culture, I want to make sure I'm on point with it. So in the article, they did give an example of a high school student who had made a comment and then when she went to college mm-hmm. and then she, so, so what do you call that when that happens? When, Yo. when a, a regular person has said something that now, you know, they're in college or wherever they are, they have, because the thing about cancel culture is that to me, it targets anybody that has a social media platform. And, you know, now you can become like Instagram, Snapchat, whatever famous and you, you, you have your platform. So someone like that in that circumstance, would you say that's cancel culture or? It's, it's funny that you say that, right? Because like I wrote that down when I was when they were described and I, and I thought this is exactly why I said I thought this article was kind of a problem. I said they were talking about a bunch of different things in the same space because mm-hmm. they this is a unique situation because you have a, a child, right, who made a, a dis, the comment, regardless of what the comment was. Then you have somebody who observed it, held it, right, for four years, and then and then used it against them, you know, right. released it in a way against them, right? Right. So they tried to use it in a malicious way. Most of the, and that's why I said, like, this situation, it, it looks difficult. It's, well, not it's difficult, but it's difficult to say that this is kind of appropriate, right? Because the girl has scholarships taken away, all of these things. And I didn't see anything in this article that said she had a pattern of behaving in a racist way or whatever, right? I don't, I don't want to get into all of that because I don't know her. But what I'm saying is in most situations that I see, it's not really this. It's like a company who's been putting out racist images or dolls or printing racist books for decades. And, and they're being held accountable now because my small voice, my brown niece's small voice didn't matter. What about Chrisette Michelle? If we like Chrisette Michelle, do y'all didn't wasn't she canceled because she sung as something for Trump? What did she do? Yeah, she I sung she, at the um what is she? She sung at the um at the inauguration, right? I think it was something that but but she was canceled. So yeah, I, I think if there there may be a need for cancel culture. I think like Jason, with your example specifically, like if we're talking about corporations that have repeatedly done things that have been swept under the rug or, rug or overlooked, it's like now, OK, we put you on front street, you will be held accountable, you cancel. I mean, you know, in that space. But so what are you saying? Like a Chrisette Michelle, though, we shouldn't cancel her. See, for me, I, that's, I feel like that's that's a thing where it turns into where I like in the, the cancel culture to like the Salem witch hunts and trials, right? Where they're like an internet mafia or mob or, or social media mob where, because she went against something that a lot of people didn't agree with, with her decision. It's like, ah, like let's swoop down on her. Let's, like you said, let's attack her, her social media platform. Let's right. say all these malicious things. Let's be vindictive. Let's do all these different things that can affect her livelihood, right? Just because the majority of, 
people, right? Our people, let's just call it what it is, didn't agree with that. So like, it's like, I feel like there's a, a fine line for us to distinct, like, okay, holding someone accountable, right? If we're going to hold a company accountable and say, look, they've been doing things for a certain number of years that they need to be held accountable for that, right? So like, Jason, like we talked about a few weeks ago, even with the Dr. Seuss situation, that wasn't a, that wasn't a, a cancel culture. It was a recall, right? It was a product recall because these particular books are offensive, right? They've been offensive for years. And now we're in a position where we can call them on it. And now they have to, they have to address it, right? They have to recall these books. It wasn't like we were canceling Dr. Seuss because Dr. Seuss has like 60 other books that are still being sold in stores, right? That aren't offensive. But when you're coming at that particular individual, like this is Chrisette Michelle. So it's a situation where it's like, all right, if you don't agree with what, what her decision was of sorry, singing at the inauguration, all right, well, cool. My thing would be, and I can only speak for me, is that I'm not going to get on her social media. I'm not going to go start attacking her because she made an individual decision based off of her career and her finances or whatever motivated her decision. It's like, OK, well, I don't agree with that. I'm not going to listen to her music. Right. I'm not going to support her in that. And that's completely different. If you're withdrawing support, it's completely different than now. You know what? As a group, we're going to attack her. We're going to say all these malicious things and try to have everybody affect her livelihood because you know what? This is this is her livelihood. She's a singer, right? She's coming out with music. This is what she needs fans. And so now when people come after her and try to cancel her, you don't know what effect that that's having on her, not just financially, but also mentally and emotionally. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I mean, it, you know, I always tell people like, you know, like when you look back at history, I mean, different groups or different times have things that they're noted for. I mean, and, you know, now, I mean, I guess with cancel culture, it's extreme accountability. But to me, this extreme accountability is what a lot of minority groups have been dealing with for years. Like, you know, like if we look at the prison system, one mistake. You know, it's people still like in jail, like um, one of the senators or congresswoman from New York, she was just talking about how now, you know, like we need a, like a restorative justice package. Like, you know, like we are looking at like opioid usage and there's a lot of, um, you know, programs now that saying it's a public health issue instead of a criminal justice issue. And so I think sometimes when I don't agree with like cancel culture, because of a specific situation more associated with the example in the article, a high school student did this and now she's paying for the consequence. I just look at, well, I know plenty of people that, you know, that, that it is what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a part of history, you know, like, and maybe we have to kind of go through this before it becomes more balanced because, you know, like I said, we've been a culture of people that you do one thing it's over for you. You look at somebody too long, it's a consequence, an extreme consequence. So sometimes I kind of like will rationalize that because then I start feeling sorry for people like, dang, Chris said that Michelle. And then, you know, I bring out my violin and, wanna, and Kate and want to be one of the people that's commenting like, oh, y'all don't go so hard. But, you know, no, it's life. But see, this is the thing, Ashley. I agree with you specifically on the Chrisette Michelle thing because, see, this is the difference. I, and I have wrote this down. Like, for me, if somebody reaps the 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 consequences of it depends on to me what the offensive is right because mm -hmm. there's a difference between somebody being quote unquote canceled by 
you know, the B the Bayhive or the Beehive, or don't kill me if I get it wrong, or, or Rihanna's name. It's the Beehive, okay? You're about, right. you about to get us canceled, Queen bro. Being, being canceled by Rihanna's Navy. You about to get canceled off that comment. Because Listen, you okay. told it. <laughs> Y'all like had no viewers. No view. Subscribe, Listen, gone. That's it. I'll, I'll listen to Beyonce, bro. So, you know what I'm saying? Uh, more blasphemous, man. God, I'll listen man. to Beyonce. <laughs> it is what it is, you know? Um, but what I was going, what I was going to say is, we at the point now where we not we canceling people for like things that would that would really fit into the bucket of civil discourse, right? So if you voted for Donald Trump, right, or you're a Republican, we're going to cancel you, right? We're going to take your business away. Like to me, that's where it gets dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're not talking about things that are malicious. Now it could be like it could be like, all right, if you live in the city. We're gonna cancel you. If you live in the suburbs, we're gonna cancel you. If I mean, think about how it's a it's a very slippery slope. And that's why I said I feel bad for Chrisette Michelle, right? Because you again, and I'm not defend I'm not on here defending Stacey Dash. So let's I'm already going down a slippery slope with the Beyonce thing. So don't nobody ever don't nobody think I'm defending Stacey. Next Dash. topic, uh Kyle. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. But you know what I'm saying, like. We've been trying to cancel her for a long time for the same thing, for her political views, right? But at the same time, we'll complain that people need to, to be able to express their views without being threatened with physical harm and all of those things. So that that's the only reason why I bring it up. It might be a poor example, but... No, I, I think it's, it's, no, it's an excellent example in the sense of, like you said, because if you don't agree with, say, like a Stacey Dash, right? I don't agree with her political views, but that doesn't mean that I'm like, you know what? Let's let's all gather together and let's 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 go after her right now. You know what? She has a right to believe in whatever she wants to believe in. Whatever. You see what I mean? Like you said, that's not an issue where it's like you said, it's it's a slur. It's inappropriate. It's OK. She believes in that for whatever reasons. And like you said, it does absolutely become dangerous when now all of a sudden we have the strength in numbers and we're attacking an individual because of their maybe thinking differently or their thought is not in the majority. Right. And that's mm -hmm. where it does, because you don't know the impact that this is having on people. Right. We all know how powerful social media and the Internet is, especially when it's targeted on one particular person. Right. If it's just that one person, like you said in the article, the kid said something years ago and now whoever went to whatever limbs to dig up information or have the information. And now it's like, I'm going to drop a bomb on this person due to whatever reason. Yeah. Now, like you said, it's malicious. Now you're doing it with with ill intent. Okay, that person said that, like you said, it's more it's different if it's a, a series of events that are happening. Right. If it's a series of behaviors and things. And then, of course, there are some behaviors that are like just deemed just straight inappropriate that we have to take that should be addressed. But, yeah, when you when you, we start going into it and saying, oh, I don't like what this person said, because it's against the grain of the majority of whatever culture or whatever, you know, group. Now, I feel like I said, we're, we're turning into a mob. Right. Well, we're just going to be like any freedom thinkers. We're going to have to come after because right. we don't like what they said. And so we're going to we're going to cancel them. We're going to we're going to come after their livelihood. And people's lives have been changed, man. You know, a lot of things have a lot of people have had some really disastrous effects. So, Ashley, I got a question for you. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kyle, you can answer this, too. Did Have you all seen. So at the bottom of the article, right, they was talking about Tropic Thunder, right, with, with Robert Downey Jr., you remember that movie where he had the um yeah the blackface he was yeah, uh the black yeah. blackface yeah he had the right? black he was he was the so, yeah 
So this is an example of what why I brought up the point I brought up, right? The the author is arguing that we're trying to cancel him now, right? Essentially arguing that I as a black man wasn't offended before, right? Now, this isn't that now this person who's making this statement isn't a person of color either. You understand? So it's almost like they're telling us that we're late with our offense. You understand? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know how you guys felt about that because the author is including blackface. He ran up all of these famous articles, all these famous actors and directors, Mel Brooks, all these people that had that had movies with people in blackface and all that. And he was essentially insinuating no one was mad then and they won Academy Awards, right? Another institution that is run by us? No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Saying, so they won all these awards and blah, 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 blah. And all y'all went and saw the movie, primarily us? No. So why are you offended now? And this is cancel culture. And that's why it's absurd to me. Because all the Black people I knew, I'm not going to say all, but there was enough of them that were offended then and are equally as offended now by the implication. Right. I wanted to know what y'all thought of that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that. And so I, I do want to say I understand his point. The point is, if something happened so long ago, is there like the statute of limitations, like for cancel culture, like where the majority can't do this? Um, and I think to me, what what really is, is more impactful are the consequences that come with it. Like the owner of the Clippers, I was talking to the previous owner. Yeah, I was born, speaking to someone yeah. about, you know, what he did. He's still a billionaire. So really, if he was canceled because he can't own any more team or something he can't do, like it, it really wasn't that huge of a consequence. So I think, um, you know, like the, the article, I pulled it up and it says, you know, we live in an era now where people are constantly like looking over their shoulders or being more mindful of what they say. I'm OK with that aspect of things. Like, I do think people should be more mindful about what they say. Did you all see the um, commissioner? I think he was from North Carolina. Y'all know that's. North Carolina, come on and raise up. Y'all know that's where I'm from. But he would refuse to refer to the black lady or her name was Dr. Rosario. But they were doing like a um, Zoom meeting and she kept asking him to call her doctor. And he would not, he refused to do it. They right. fired him. A white, they said he was using his white privilege on his Zoom platform because they were talking about like zoning and stuff like that. So, I mean, he was an older white man. She was the younger. She had a um, doctor in, I think, public health. Mm -hmm. And so I'm OK with members of the majority now becoming more mindful in, oh, yeah. in, in places that they didn't have to be. So that's what cancer culture does. But I do think that um, time frames are relevant. So I don't want to erase that. But again, Jason, I think to your point, um, just because cancel culture wasn't present when said offenses happened and now that it is. It's like, you know, still identifying. I'm sure Robert Downey Jr. is still going to be rich. He's still, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it how much is it really going to impact him? So mm -hmm. and, and, now, I think that's definitely the point of at least why I thought initially what cancel culture was supposed to be, right? It's supposed to bring awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you should be more mindful of what you're saying because we live in different times. The things that were being said, even in entertainment or even in, you know, in that aspect, are different now, right? Like we we have the situation with Kevin Hart, right? What he said in a stand-up years and years ago. Yeah, you know what? Because there's more awareness, because the LGBT community has a voice, because now they have, you know, he's they're holding people accountable. The gray area, whether they 
should have dug that past into someone. Okay, he did the stand up back in the during that time period where a lot of comedians other than himself were saying that if that's the case, we really have to be careful because like you said, the statute of limitations on time is that if you go back to a lot of comedians and a lot of movies by us, some of them raunchier jokes, all types of jokes. You're talking about the Eddie Murphy's and the the 48 hours and Mm -hmm. a lot of these jokes. A lot of these movies that were made back then could never be made now just because it's a different time. And that's okay. But like you said, is there a statute of limitations on that? Because if that's the case, we're going to be holding or cancel culture is going to be holding a lot of movies and a lot of actors and a lot of people accountable for the the subject material that they were using in during their entertainment value. So that's a really important question. You got to look. Bro, I agree, but I got to push back a little bit because some negative language or little uh, like offensive language and Eddie Murphy, Richie Pryor movie stand up. Like I can't compare that to decades of Hollywood, like structurally giving us images that were telling us that we were monkeys. You know what I'm saying? And And the thing is, People of color and minority communities reserve the right to be retroactively offended. I'm sorry. Due to yeah, totally due to technology, you know, and the power that we have right now, we listen the platform offended. Like, I'm sorry. That's like telling black, and I'm not saying you're doing it, no. but that's like telling black people, like, yeah, y'all was walking around up under those Confederate flags for 40 years and you ain't say nothing. And Instagram wasn't around. So so you couldn't tell 100 people, 100,000 people to demonstrate in one place, right? So now forget about it. Nah, you have a lot of people who are using technology to assemble now and to write things that they feel were wrong in the past. Why? Because I don't want my niece having to walk under those symbols, right? I want, when my niece walks into a job interview, I want her to be respected. I want the person that's interviewing her to be aware of those microaggressions and be scared. Yes. Oh, so totally. I get it. We don't want to reach like it. It should definitely far. be a situation, situation by basis, because like you said, the things that you're talking about, those things are going to be ongoing, right? It's not going to be like, oh, right. this happened in the exactly. movie. This, this That's going to be ongoing. They're going to keep that Confederate flag unless we do take action, right? They're going to keep these things right. up if we don't call them and hold them accountable. So absolutely, the 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 circumstances and situations have to be put into place because some of these things that we don't, they're going to continue to on go and continue to affect our, you know what I mean? As we go forward. So totally. It just, it just rubbed me the wrong. That's the only part of this article that rubbed me the wrong way. This guy made some good points, but that's why I I, I started with saying, I think he was talking about a bunch of certain things in this all in the same space, but that's my opinion. I, you know, I respect y'all view on it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically also definitely intent. I think intent as far as like when you are addressing these issues about these comments or behavior, I think intent absolutely should be included. Like, are you doing this for the betterment where these issues aren't going to continue to happen because they've been existing for so long? Or are you doing right. it to get back at this person? Right. Are you doing it to be malicious or be vindictive like you were saying earlier? Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Agree. All right. So uh, moving on. Right. So we've um, a lot of us in our in our in our work, we've talked to our clients and our patients about the importance of social support. Right. We've talked about how beneficial it is. And we're talking about family and friends. However, sometimes what's not talked about or always discussed is the intangibles um, and circumstances of these relationships. Right. Or being or gaining a relationship, including like dating, if you are someone that's 
um, experiencing or managing a mental health issue or mental health, mental health disorder. And so the article that we uh, that came across our desk, uh, something that stood out to me, it was an article is to kind of do a quick recap. Uh, talked about an individual that was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and she had had some concerns about, um, you know, romance, right? Romance in her life and dating. And further down in the article, it asked some really interesting questions. And I think sometimes that's not highlighted or talked about when we're talking about when we're counseling or when we have a patient or a client, they're talking about, oh, social support and, you know, quality of life. And we're hoping that maybe they already have a partner, right? Maybe they're already married. Hopefully that there's some social support that's already kind of, you know, intact or that's available to them. But what Mm -hmm. if you do? What if you have a client or a patient that, you know, is not married, is not in a relationship? And that's something that is a valid concern, right? So some of the questions and things that popped up were, you know, what do you do or when do you tell someone that you have a mental, a mental illness, or, you know, what do you do, you know, as far as how do you navigate that, you know, that issue, because that's an important question, right? We, we want to promote a good quality of life and in, in, in that patient, but this is a part of life. This is a part of a lot of people's um, daily thing is relationship. So, you know, I wanted to pose that question out to you. Um, and, you know, w- what do you do if you're someone that has a mental health issue or you're managing your mental health? You know, when do you tell someone that you have a mental illness? What are your thoughts about that, guys? I think I think you need to tell of the person. I do think before sex, I think it is important to disclose that before sex, you know. And so this is me being like outside of professionalism. I'm just this is my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. I think one before sex is important. Um, I think you can, I think you can determine when it's going from like phase one to phase two. I think you should definitely disclose it before phase two. I don't necessarily think that it needs to be disclosed in phase one unless it's going to impact things. So, you know, mental health is, is so broad because, so I work with sex offenders. So I work with individuals that have been diagnosed with pedophilia. Hmm. So, and a lot of them, well, all of the ones that I work with have um, been to prison. And so in some ways they've been rehabilitated, but the diagnosis will still stand because of that attraction. So we have this discussion all the time. So personally, and then I'll talk more professionally, like what I specifically tell clients and how I help them make that decision, because ultimately it's up to them. But I do do think there's a best way to do it. But personally, I would tell, like, if, if it was my friend, I would say, I think before you become intimate with this person, you might want to disclose it. Not saying you got to tell them all of your business, but you may want to tell them that there are some, you know, things that um, you know, that I struggle with it guide my behavior. So I may not text back or I get, you know, agitated. You don't have to say this is my diagnosis, but I definitely think you should disclose it before intimacy and before you start to put titles on it. So that's what I'm calling phase two is once we're saying like, you know, you my boo and you know, those things, because you can pretty much see when that's warming up. Um, but yeah, I'll get into the more professional aspect of like how you you know, professionally do it and take steps. But yeah, my opinion, before you pop and before you take it to phase two, what y'all think? What you think, Jay? What you got? I said the same thing. Like, while she, well, similar. While she was talking, I wrote down like casual dating, right? If you're dating a person casually, then I don't think it's something that needs to be disclosed, right? And I also, because I kind of look at it like similarly to like if you had a a significant medical illness, right? I I really don't think there's any 
any difference, right? There's something that's going to significantly impact your life, you know, in various phases, probably every phase, right? Same way mental health is going to is, is, is going to impact you in, in all of those ways. So if this person is going to become part of your life past mm-hmm. the casual kind of role, then it's time to, you know, approach that and think about what's the most, you know, what's the best way to kind of feed it to them or give it to them or whatever. I mean, I don't know, um, depending on how stigmatizing, you know, obviously the disorder could be, and we could kind of get into that, you might have different strategies, right? Um, because <laughs> there's certain different, there's certainly different, going to be certain, certainly different levels. Listen, why are you, are you smiling at me? Cause, like, cause, cause so, so, so we go out on a date and I tell you first date, you know, I'm bipolar. I gotta take my medication real quick before I be forgetting. I've been through it before. Yeah. So now okay. you ask me a question, but I, I've, I've, been it, I've been through it before. You know, now I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say I was very <laughs> shocked, and I'm not gonna say that I handled it necessarily the right way, like the way I would have handled it now. I was gonna say, um, so was this, is this pre-doc or is this like this during the doctoral program? Is this right. like early? This this old J. This is no no no. This is pre-doctoral. No no. This is. Early doctoral program. This is when I was a therapist, though. Okay. All right. All you know right. I mean, but I'm gonna be very honest. It's a little bit of both because um, obviously there's no way that anybody would be able to identify this person. But um, I was intimidated by the diagnosis. You know what I mean? Because the diagnosis was was real. was bipolar disorder, and at that particular point, I didn't really feel like I had the skills as a clinician to deal with patients with bipolar disorder. You know what I mean? I didn't feel like I knew enough about it. So to deal with um, a partner. My boo. <laughs> yeah, especially my boo. Like, I just, listen, listen, I kind of, I kind of knew that one. Again, I kind of knew that one was going to end, you know, when we were kind of discussing that. But yeah, I also thought it was a conflict of interest because I'm always one of these people. I've always been one of the people that. You know, I leave it all on the field between nine and five. You know what I mean? So it's like when I get off, you know, I I, I know that I need like a relatively stable partner, you know, mm. <laughs> emotionally, you know. No, and, I, and I'm happy you mentioned that because, you know, my answer to that question. Um, relatively stable. Relatively. You know, <laughs> my thing is, is, out is of, be, be, be her piece. Be her piece, Jay. <laughs> Jay ain't trying to be the. He ain't trying to be the counselor after after five. That's what oh is. no, bro. Yeah, he's like no. Nah, exactly. You the same way, Kyle. So you know, my thing is for that person before you even get into the dating space. Like I feel like it's an and believe it's a really important question for you to ask yourself. Like, are you in a place? with your recovery and with the management, right? Depending on how severe your bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, trauma, or any of these things, right? Are you in a place where you're ready to get into the field, right? To get to get back into the dating game because you know and I know, we all know that that's stressful, right? And we know that stress makes every issue worse, right? Especially if mm-hmm. it's someone yeah. trying to manage their mental health. So yeah. w- once you start, you... You know, I think it's really important. Hopefully you're able to discuss this with your therapist, with family members and say, listen, are you ready to take that on? Because everybody deserves to be happy. Totally. Like I would never tell any of my friends or family that has a mental health disorder, any of my clients and say, yo, you shouldn't date at all. Absolutely. You know, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to have a quality of life. The question is, 
are you in a place where you're able to take on that stress? Because it's going to come with stress. It's going to be up and down. Just talking to people, trying to get through the, that phase one, going on multiple dates. You know, it's going to be stressful. So if you've made that decision where you feel like, hey, I'm in a place where I can handle this, then, you know, absolutely. Like I'm, I'm, I'm right on the line with with you guys if when you're comfortable. Right. But definitely before it gets serious, because like you said, even you know, how far along you are in managing your mental health, it's gonna affect, right? It's up and down, right? There's no situation yeah. where I, I'm I'm through with depression, don't have to worry about it. No, like it's other aspects of your life are going to be affected. And yeah, it's going to guide or it's going to affect your behavior. And it might be good, like you said, before you get serious with this individual to say, hey, this is what I'm this is what's going on in my life. Right. Like you said, when you're comfortable, but definitely, like you said, before you get into things, start getting more serious because, you know, the other person's going to maybe possibly see if you have an episode or you have a bad day and then you can't get out of bed for like two or three days. They're going to be like, like what's going on. Right. And I think you need to give a person a choice on what, you know, like, because if you are agreeing to be with someone that has, I mean, a a mental health condition, a physical health condition and, you know, an impairment or whatever the condition, a child, anything that impacts how they're going to behave in the relationship. I think that it's sooner than later is is ideal because you do because you do have to decide what role you want to play. I know that I um it, but here's the thing too that I was going to add cuz I was going to say that I personally you know would prefer not to date someone with that has a, a a diagnosed mental health condition. But here's the here's the gotcha gotcha is that sometimes you don't even know like if a person has it cuz they don't even know. I mean, especially in the black community, I can't tell you, like, I've dated some guys and now I look back like, yo, he was, he, he meets clinical criteria for depression. (laughs) I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't suicidal, but he was depressed. And and honestly, I couldn't, you know, like where my lifestyle is and I'm trying, like the things I'm trying to do, I'm not the best person for that. You know what I'm saying? To, to be that person. A lot of times when I do couples counseling and one person has a mental health diagnosis, let's say um, major depressive disorder, and this person frequently has suicidal ideation, oftentimes people aren't clinicians. So they want, they expect their partner to kind of be their therapist. Mm -hmm. Like when we set goals, it's kind of like, I want you to, when I'm having a bad day, I want to be able to discuss these things and the expectations of the partner to compliment, you know, them with what they're struggling with. It can be a lot. And I know that I'm very career oriented. I plan things a certain way. And I'm not sure that I would be able to provide that adequate support that a person would need. And they would probably end up hating me. So I don't think I could do it. Like, but I really, I personally, I want you to tell me day one. I want you to tell me your, all of these variables and things because that's going to determine what you know the second date is going to be about. I respect people that don't tell it like with the with all different things that I think you need to tell, but I want to know first date personally. I, I think it's fair. I know you're about to jump in there, Jay, but no, I real quick, I think it's fair to give that other person a choice. 
right? Whether that's something they want to sign up for, like that's something that they want to be a part of because they may have their own stress and issues. And like you said, taking that on and not saying again, I'm not saying that anyone like has baggage, mental health, nothing like that. So don't, don't cancel me y'all. Um, but it's the thing like you give that person an opportunity, right? Like, goddamn, you know, but, <laughs> but like you said, give people that option. Go ahead, Jeff. No, I was just saying, I, you know, I agree with Ashley, what she was saying about the choice, you know, and you were saying about the choice because again, the expectation, like what you were saying about that other person, right? Like, Listen, and this, I, I don't mean to say this, this isn't a funny thing, but like when that person, when I was sitting across from that person, I told them that I was a therapist and the, the way I found out they had a diagnosis, they were like, oh, great. You know? You, yes. <laughs> I was like, I was in the hospital. It like, was like, oh, was, wait, Two birds and one stone. This is going to be great. Right. You and, are going to help me. Yes. And I'm not talking about Look at the God. Person. I'm not talking about that. Won't know. he do it? But at this point, like, that's my that's my worst nightmare. You know what I mean? My worst nightmare is not saying, you know, it, my worst nightmare is working all day, you know, and then coming home and nobody has a problem providing emotional support to their partner in a reasonable, you're in a relationship. But when you're talking about somebody in some cases who have diagnoses, right, this is going to be excessive. This is going to exceed what, what we're talking about a regular display of stress or whatever so expectations right like that's that's not really what i see as what i really want to do in my personal life you know um so i i think i agree like that that type of stuff should be disclosed you know yeah and so that's why first date and that's why i was thinking like you really you really it has to be important if you're ready to get into that because that comes in with dating right already along there are already it's a chance right so if you tell somebody that, hey, this is what's going on with me. This is what I have going on in my life. What do you do if they react negatively? But they're just like, uh, yeah, not nah, because that's realistic. Right. And people have that option. Right. People have that choice on whether they want to go forward in a relationship, whether you have a mental health disorder or you don't. And mm-hmm. what if that doesn't go forward? Like, are you in a place again to deal with that type of stress of the ins and outs of the ups and downs of the dating game of relationships? It's a really important question because not everyone's going to be, Oh, well, that's okay. We can go through this anyway. I'll be there to hold your hand. No, some people are going to be like, all right, cool. Um, I'm good. And so right. you're hoping that that person is in a place to be able to handle that because that could also tailspin or could add exactly. an additional stress. So it's really important to know where you are in that. And they they should they deserve someone that that, that is committed to that. So I just made sure so we not cancel culture. I just went on NAMI real quick to look how to love someone with a mental illness. And there there are steps that you will need to be prepared to take. Just like and 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 I want to say this because. I also want to ask, just like dating someone with children or dating someone that travels off, you know, travels a lot. You know, we're not saying that any of these things are problematic. We're just saying that there are things to consider if you're joining in that. And I would want someone that has a mental health condition to, like you said in the beginning, Kyle, people deserve to be happy. So we definitely advocate for people to pursue relationships, but we're also advocating for people to pursue relationships with people that are going to be understanding and that are able, you know, to provide the support. It says a couple of things, um, embrace empathy and validation, 
resist the urge to say like, try harder, you know, so you have to educate yourself on some of the symptoms, learn the symptoms and then stop taking them personally. So like if let's say that things do tailspin, you are recognizing that this is a symptom of the diagnosis and not like I didn't necessarily do anything wrong. And it says research treatment options and let go of your timetable. Encourage outside support and know that you can't fix it alone. So like you loving this person and, you know, remember people with mental illness are not suddenly different people because they're sick when they're struggling. You know, they aren't monsters. They can get better. And so all of those things are true. So I guess the bottom line point that I want to make is that I want people that have mental health conditions to be in relationships with people that are going to, you know, not that, that want to support them in that way. Because if you get with someone that's not going to be as supportive, that's going to definitely be a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important, that's, that's an important point. Um, Yeah. You said something earlier that I think was real important, actually, when you was talking about like culturally, right. Um, Like when we talk about stigma and just, trauma, you know, um, developmental trauma and different types of trauma in our community, how you just may not know what your partner is experiencing, right? But you may see like these pronounced behaviors and prominent symptoms if you're if if you're like a person with a mental health background or or you have experienced that in your family and you've gone through that journey with somebody. But I just thought that that was that, that's a deal, right? Because especially when you look at communities of color, like we, are, well, I don't want to generalize with you guys, but a lot of people I know have individuals in their family, you know, and we call it like suffering in silence, right? Like everybody knows, you know, so-and-so we, you know, we, you, you interact with that person differently because you know that they don't see certain things that they're, you know, and react to things a certain way. So it's no, going to be no different in terms of the dating pool and, and in terms of our potential partners. So um, mm-hmm. I think that that's that that that's that's really important, right? Because it's going to be a lot of people in our in our community who've experienced trauma, and yeah. that's going to invade all areas of our life, including our relationships. You know, especially in the city. Both of like, so Jason, you're from Jersey. Kyle, you're from Philly. So I will say, like, <laughs> when I first moved here, it was definitely it was different dating. Don't get me wrong; like, it's not like necessarily a negative difference with the dating in terms of my personal experiences with Southern men and Northern men. But I will say I saw more trauma here my first year working in Philly than I had my entire career as an LPC in North Carolina, which I worked from 2011 to I started fall 20. So I had like three to four years of clinical work there, came here and it's just so much more trauma. So with that, I noticed that from my dating experience, again, personally speaking, but I'm sure the research will back this because it says mental health is worse in metropolitan cities mm-hmm. than it is in like Southern um, areas. But the guys here, like that I would date, they were very like so much more hypervigilant. I mean, and, and when I let's say that, I don't want to say paranoid, but I mean, like it was really like, you know, it, it was different. I mean, you know, like every, and I've only dated, um, you know, black men. So, you know, I, I will say, and not to say that that means a diagnosable mental health condition, right. but when we start to speak on trauma and when we start to speak on behaviors, because, you know, adjustment disorder, mixed depression and anxiety, I mean, you know, like that is a clinical diagnosis. And, you know, I will say, I do believe that I work with a lot of people or acute stress reaction. So like, you know, there are different diagnoses that may not be like long-term, you know, the person is going to deal with, but absolutely it can impact dating. So in that way, I do kind of want to clarify 
I would want to get to know the diagnosis and, and see like how long it could impact the person. Cause I definitely believe moving to the city, I met some brothers that had adjustment disorder or PTSD or, you know, well, some of these different, you know, diagnoses. You know, a lot of the conditions that are created in a lot of these cities, whether it be Philly, Newark, DC, I mean, you're going to have a lot of, at least from what I've seen, you're going to have a lot of like um, developmental trauma and, mm-hmm. I think, you know, like community violence isn't given its just due in terms of trauma, right? Because people have normalized it, not the people that live there, because <laughs> they got to go through that every day. But mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people on the outside have normalized it. And it's like, well, the shootings just happen over there. Like, you know, they're going to get used to it. And that's not the reality. Like individuals who, I mean, I'm not telling y'all that we, you know, we've had some of these conversations behind the scenes, but you know, again, if you if you surviving in some of these environments, you know, then of course, you know, you you can't you can change some of your behaviors, but you're not gonna stop being hypervigilant just because you go out on a date. Unless you're gonna for everybody you date, you're just gonna leave the city. You know, you know what I mean? So I mean, you know, we've had a lot of these conversations because you know, um, you know, I you know, Ashley, like, you know, I was dating kind of at, you know, some of that, some of the same. I'm talking about my business, but I was dating at some of the same time. So, you know, <laughs> we used to talk about, you know, some of these some of these issues, you know. Um, um, so, you know, what you're saying is real, you know, what you definitely is saying is saying is real. Um, but and the scary part of that is like you get like you said, how many individuals are bringing that, like you said, that developmental trauma, those experiences and it's untreated and they're bringing those into relationships. So like you said, mm. actually you're, Oof. you're, you're facing that, right. When you're, you're going through that process, like you're seeing that, like there's something up right here, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but you know, your clinician. Like a bring... But the clinician in you is just like, yeah, like, you know, it, you see, like, you see the flags, you see the little nuances. And now, you know, now mm-hmm. you got to bring your DS five with you every time you go to work. Like, <laughs> like yeah, here we go. You know, but you better real. not like, tell I'm... them that they got something going on. Hey, <laughs> you have Hold a... on a second. Oh, no, nah, you better not do that. You better not do that. <laughs> First of all, well, have y'all ever, and maybe I'm, I've been asked so many times on a date if I could read somebody's mind or it's been said as a joke. That's not really a joke. Yeah. That, that now I really believe that intelligent people really believe that you get a doctorate in psychology, you can read people's mind. And my response is always like, yo. I would be a lot richer and I would be in another country if I could read people's mind. You understand? Mm-hmm. I would have the bag and I would be definitely somewhere else. Have has people ever asked y'all that? All the time. People will ask, um, are you reading my thoughts right now? Can you are you reading my mind? And usually my <laughs> response to that is I I can't read anything. There's nothing there. You know, like that's right. you, you might. <laughs> or psychoanalyze me. You said you psychoanalyze yeah. me. You psychoanalyze me. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't, I don't do that after five, bro. Like, I don't. listen, okay. <laughs> like, I, I'm not. Am <laughs> I billing your insurance? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, listen. Sometimes I get, you know, I get real distinguished. I'm like, you can't afford for me to read your mind, bro. You, you're not even. You're not there. <laughs> I'm just oh, keeping one hundred. Got the car, got the high rates. Yeah, Listen, I, was, I just looked you up on LinkedIn. You you in the city? I mean, <laughs> oh man! <laughs> hey, like oh man! 
Had a bag ready, y'all want to see. That's it. That's it. <laughs> all right. Staying with relationships. All right. So we are just about over a year into the pandemic. All right. And it appears that the pandemic has been putting marriages under significant pressure and created new conflicts for married couples. So I got some stats here. Uh, 34%. There's been a 34% increase in sales of divorce agreements. Um, a relationship website found that 31% of couples said that the pandemic was damaging their relationship. And legal templates, uh, that's a legal document website, noted that 57% is, uh, ah, it's been noted that it's been a 57% increase in separation documents. So um, what do you guys, uh, what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> I mean, not surprising, I guess, right? Um, some of the challenges, you know, like the pandemic changed lifestyles. So if you know, like it, it but I'm going to tell you to to kind of speak a little bit differently than what most people would say, because I had asked, I, I got a girls chat with my sorority sisters and I had told them about some of the statistics and, you know, got some perspective from them on, I asked them, what, were they surprised by the numbers? And they said they weren't really surprised because one, people were spending more time together than normal. Um, the second one they stated was, you know, um, people have, women have more time to snoop. So like if you, if you was letting your man do whatever he wanted to do, but now you got a little extra time because you're working from home, you checking that Facebook or whatever, and you saying like, oh, yeah. he out here, he's been living the savage life, you know, but but um, just spending too much time together, getting tired of each other, um, you know, like the standard things. I think domestic violence had also gone up. Mm-hmm. So um, also, too, another point is like, you know, like, so if you traveled a lot or did a lot of behavioral activation with your family now, that's limited. So you're not necessarily getting reinforced from things, you know, some like women or men, they do ABC in the home and now like rewarding me, where we going to Paris, where we flying out to, I want to get flued out. So trips are decreasing, time together is increasing. But one thing I was thinking was I do uh, like a live discussion with the couple that's been married 20 years this year. And both of them are clinicians. The wife is a social licensed social worker. The husband is an LPC. And so the husband speaks a lot about like deal breakers and telling, encouraging single people to really think about their deal breakers. So I think that in relationships, most times people are looking at what they want in a person, right? So they're looking at, okay, I want somebody tall, dark, handsome, and he is, you know, making six figures or whatever. So you get those things and they're there, but I think more time together allows you to see maybe what these deal breakers are. Like, let's say you got this and now the kids are home from school and you realize that this tall, dark and handsome rich man is not really a good team player. You know, even though he's bringing home the money, now that the kids are home, there's a different need for his support in the house because there isn't a nanny because of all of those things. So I think that the pandemic has shown people, one, how short life is. A lot of people of all ages have, you know, passed during this time. So it's let people see how short life is and maybe really reflecting more just to add a different perspective on what people normally think is causing this. Um, People are seeing more that life is short. I don't want to stay in this unhappy situation. I don't want to be with someone that, yeah, you make this money. And this was our contract previously. But when he sees that, I'm losing weight or I'm gaining weight or he can't sit with the kids for 20 minutes because he's like, this is our setup. This is our circumstance. 
and not being flexible to what's going on in the pandemic. So I would say outside of just spending too much time together and getting bored and tired of each other, um, really recognizing it. Dang, you, you know what I'm saying? Like you gotta, you do a lot of things that I don't like. I'm not happy. I don't want to die with, with you. I see. And see the fact that you say that I agree, but I disagree. I, I agree with a fun, like fundamentally and, you could give me your opinion because you work with people with relationships and, you know, mm-hmm. I, and a lot of people that are together, we talked about this before, bro. A lot of people that are together are probably going to be offended by me saying this, but I think a lot of people are in good partnerships, but they're in terrible relationships, right? Like when I meet with people in therapy, I know things that their partner ne- don't will never know, right? And I, And part of that is just you know, the confidentiality that goes along with therapy. I understand that. But certain things are fundamental to a relationship, right? So you wouldn't believe how many couples you would I, I would meet with or partners and they don't know, you know, what their partner wants out of life. Like, what are their goals, right? Or a lot of people, I think that the things that they settle for are a lot of surface items, right? So before you marry somebody, right, you should know, what their idea of, of raising children is, right? You should know what their idea of saving money is. If you're already married to somebody and then you realize that they can't, they're a horrible saving person at saving money or they're or or they're they don't want to spend time around kids, then you was focused on the wrong, the bright lights. You was focused on the wrong thing. So <laughs> if you're a female and you or male, right? And you turn around and you're like, oh, it's five years in, he doesn't like to take away a care of kids but he was a great provider it's probably because you were focused the whole time on fighting a provider and 16 people that love to take care of kids probably walk right by you because you was focused on finding that provider so yeah. again i'm not just blaming females because i think men on the reverse can look for different things too right they can look for a trophy right they can look for somebody that's very beautiful and then as soon as they get them they can say now nah, i want you to turn around and be and sit in here and make me some make you know whatever their caveman attitude might be, mm-hmm. and that and that and that female might not have that attitude. That's not how I, I looked at myself, you know. So mm-hmm. again, in that in that situation, it's the man's fault, right? Because they were focused on beauty and all of this on all of the surface things and the things that truly mattered. They thought was just going to come later, and people just don't change later. Married people will tell you expect the person that you marry not to change, you know? Yeah, I believe that the pandemic exacerbated a lot of and highlighted a lot of issues that were already existing, right? So like you guys said, if you expected this and also eliminated a lot of resources, so maybe the nanny wasn't able to come over, right? Or you had all these things that were kind of keeping the glue together or kind of like, I have a problem with that. But, uh, well, you know, the nanny's here or I'm away, so I don't have to deal with it. Now that's taken away. Right. So now that Mm -hmm. space and all those resources are eliminated. Now you're full frontal with a lot of those existing issues. And now they're getting magnified. Right. Now they're becoming more pronounced because you don't have that barrier that was kind of creating a buffer or was like wasn't keeping you full frontal with it. Now that's not there anymore. So now those those existing issues are getting even worse. So now it's a situation, like you said, I thought this woman or this guy was going to be great with the kids and maybe, you know, that was going to grow. And you know what? Now this person has doesn't like being around our own kids, but he was able to get he or she was able to maybe get away with that because 
you know, their job allowed them to travel. That's not happening anymore. Right. Also, mm-hmm. other different issues, financial issues. Right. So, so you had some people that lost their job. So now where that person might have been the provider or was contributing things, we all know a lot of causes of divorce is financial issues. So we all understand that it's a pandemic, but guess what? If things aren't being taken care of and you're going through financial hardship, whether it's a pandemic or not, that's going to cause a lot of discord and a lot of stress in a relationship. And so, you know, all those different things, I think, in addition, the pandemic adds an additional layer of stress because you don't have outlets. You don't have that privacy, like you mentioned earlier, Ashley. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a recipe for disaster. And now you got people who are more hypervigilant, like, OK, I'm seeing some of these other different personality traits that I was able to tolerate. But now I'm not tired. Now he's just here. <laughs> like now he, you got the stick here and look like that. Why are you like this? <laughs> like, no, I can't tolerate this. Is This is too much. Now, the question is why, and this is going to, listen, you brought it up, Ashley, you started going down this road. Now, good question is, why is it less tolerable? Are there a lot of males and females out there that are grumpy because they can't see their side pieces right now? Huh? Absolutely. Listen, side pieces definitely make relationships more tolerable (laughs) for some people. Right. I'm not recommending them. Listen, now that is a touchy topic for a lot of people. Yes, it is. But unfortunately, you know, I think it's I think it's an accurate statement, right? There is a there is a group of people out here, you know, that <laughs> engaging in that in that side relationship helps them deal with their regular relationship a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You know, and um, they get all of their needs met, you know, because okay, you gonna take care of the kids, you're gonna do this. I was talking about that recently. Um because we talked about like cheating and can you really love somebody but still have a side chick? So, I mean, I think all of those variables are super relevant, but to, to, to highlight a point, I have a mentor, um, Dr. Sam Hasty. he's a psychologist and he developed what he called the four dimensional love theory. And so he said at first at the beginning though, there's has to be like some sort of physical attraction between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the first stage, he calls that selfish love. So selfish love is where you kind of like figuring out what you want from this person. Like you, you kind of looking at what you can get. I'm going to go out. Okay. He cute. I'm going to go out on a date. You know, you're going to pay for this food. Dude, like, you know, what you going to do when I pay for this food? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I, mm-hmm. I'm flying you out. You know, <laughs> what's what, yeah, what we going to do after this? You go, you flying <laughs> through. I mean, what, 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 what we doing? So it's very selfish and looking at, okay, you cute. What can I get from it? So then the second phase is exploratory love. So he's like, after you've, you know, had a couple of days and you got past the selfish love. So she recognizes, oh, you know, he got a little combo with the crab legs. Let me see what else he got. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, you know, all right. She, she tipped the, whatever she did that further makes him want to explore what else the relationship could be. That's the second stage. Right. So he said the third stage is where most individuals stay. And this is what you all were talking about. It's contractual love. So basically you do ABC, I'm going to do XYZ. So let's speak in the stereotypical traditional relationships. Mm-hmm. The woman is basically saying, you know, I'm a cook and clean, take care of the home and you're going to pay the bills. Right. The problem and, and most of the time contractual works like we're all employed. Why do we go to work? Because they give us a paycheck. Right. I mean, granted, we love what we do, but this work and volunteer is totally different. If they stop cutting the check, things going to start looking different with our work ethic. Well, so in and, that and relationship, as long as. 
<laughs> Ain't no attendance. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna stop coming as much. If anything, you might not abruptly quit, but it ain't gonna look the same. I ain't putting in no 440. Nope. So, nope. with that being said, he's like most relationships stay in contractual love because as long as you're doing what I need, the contract stands. It's fine. But covenant love is where is where it's ideal. That's unconditional love. And I will say, personally speaking, as a relationship counselor, it's hard for people to get that contractual love and this unconditional love in a relationship because you have these expectations. I really only see contractual covenant love when it's kids. Like, you know, your child spills something on your white dress, you could get over that. But if your spouse do it, that's why you shouldn't have been having all these drinks before we go out. You you know, it's it's, it's very challenging to get to that. But he also is, um, you know, he's Christian and a man of faith. So he's, you know, going to add that covenant love. But I say I like to say a lot of people just recognize that with the pandemic, you couldn't uphold the 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 um, fine lines of your contract now. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of fell apart because he does talk about how you have to do certain behaviors to stay in the maintenance phase of covenant love where it's kind of just going to go back down. And then we separate them. Right. And those behaviors, the pandemic has disrupted those patterns, right? Those behaviors, the normal yep. behaviors and things that were keeping, like you said, everything intact. Those behaviors aren't taking place anymore because now there are restrictions. Now you're you also going to realizing the gym. now all you do is eat. And we'll I eat sit here or I, I want to do this. I want to have my time. Like, like you said, the privacy is limited. And then also you're realizing how much substance do you have right you mentioned it also jay like i thought i knew this person or i thought i had this connection but i'm realizing that you know this person isn't you know kind of the conversations that we had there's no substance there right what's the substance of our our relationship and your values and your ideas are completely different and some of the things that we're able to kind of make that more tolerable are not happening now because everything is so closed in. You got other different factors like health issues are coming in and people are losing folks. And you're doing that within a really small space. And, you know, that could absolutely put a lot of pressure and things that, you know, if you weren't having those conversations also beforehand about things and now they're coming out in a, in a frustrated affect. Right. They're coming in. And like you said, something happened minor. Then it's a blow up. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, so we'll um, we'll continue to stay tuned on that because, again, the pandemic is here. And again, like we've always said, it's the most salient thing that it and it's affected different areas of uh, individuals lives. So we'll continue to stay posted on how, you know, the evolution of the pandemic is, is having on um on relationships. Dr. J, I'm going to throw it to you for this next one, brother. All right. So so listen, um. Last but not least, we're going to talk about this um, article that came across in a, a Washington Post. Um, it's about, you know, the real HU, Howard University, of course, stand up, you know. Um, but more importantly, it's about just HBCUs in general, right? And, the, you know, really this story is about Howard has de- has decided to kind of get rid of the classics department. Um, they're not getting rid of the whole department. Um, you know, some of the classes are going to be dissolved into other you know, uh, kind of departments, but they said the decision came after a three-year review, um, you know, just talking about how the department doesn't offer a major and how kind of demand for the minors such as Greek and Latin had kind of fell flat. But the reason why, I mean, a lot of people will look and be like, well, why do we even care, right? First of all, you know, I looked this up because I wanted to make sure that I had it accurate. I know you guys are way smarter than me, but when they talk about the classics, they talk about it's the study of literature, history, philosophy, languages, 
um, archaeology of ancient Greek and Roman worlds, right? So all of those areas. Um, so, you know, not necessarily my area of interest, but I can understand, you know, the importance in terms of history. Um, and listen, a lot of people were frustrated because, you know, Howard is the only HBCU with a classics department, right? Um, so in a field that's dominated by white scholars, you would see why, you know, people would be upset about this. A lot of people weighed in, Cornell West weighed in. They was talking about it on Morning Joe one day when I was getting dressed. Um, so it's a big deal. Um, so, you know, I guess I just wanted to know if you guys have any interest in the classics, first of all. Um, and, you know, what do you think? Like, do you think that this is relevant, that pe uh, people, you know, should be kind of looking at this issue or not? Because they said that the students and professors rallied a lot of support, like nationally and internationally in terms of trying to kind of save the department. No, I absolutely think it's um, it's important and relevant. Um, anytime... I feel like all HBCUs, but, you know, in particular, and that we're talking about how right now should definitely be finding a way in. We should be supporting the the fact that we're making certain that, you know, students are having that same opportunity to, you know, to get that information and education from the classes division or classic courses. Right. Because other students in the U.S. are getting an opportunity to learn this information. Right. So whether it's a major or it's just like a <clears throat> general elective or general education course, like it should be available. Um, I remember I kind of had when I was reading the article, I, I had a similar experience to um, to the to the person about taking the class by mistake. Right. So like at Cheney, I was supposed to have like an English course. Right. It was like English two or something. And like, I'm not going to lie. Like I was just late registering for it. I'm not going to hold you. <laughs> <laughs> I totally procrastinated on it. And I went there and there were like everything was locked out. Right. And you know how it is in college. You trying to like move at a certain time. Like you got your schedule like ah, I ain't trying to get no. Okay. Break. Yeah, you got it all set up. So like all the English courses were already locked out and, and such. And so I went to like the registrar, you know, and everything. And they were like, well, look, we don't have that. We can put you on a wait list. But, you know, you need to, something to fill that that period or that time. They gave me like this Greek course. It was like a Greek of the arts or or something rather. And I'm like, man, I don't want to take this. Like, what is this? I don't, I don't have no the Greek. Like, I don't know. I don't want to know anything about that. And surprisingly, like, it was a really decent and informative course. And I was really happy mm -hmm. that I had an opportunity to take that course because I never would have even imagine enjoying taking a course like that. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, it changed my life. I It made me want to switch majors, but it was right. Right. But it was important, right? It was important for me to take that course and learn like, and learn aspects of that, of that, you know, that, um, that civilization. So I feel like everybody should get an opportunity to take a course right there. So that, that division should remain because, um, one, it's it's great information. And two, again, other students in the U.S. have an opportunity to do it. And we are no different than that. So I absolutely feel like uh, it, it's relevant. OK. Right. Jason, did you highlight that you're from? Did you uh, Howard is your alma mater? So, oh, of course. Yeah. Did you, you know, build it? Know. Listen, okay. listen, listen. <laughs> have you been there? Was, <laughs> it should be obvious. It should but be I was reading the article and um, it just said that. So I, I wanted to understand why. Um, and it just says, you know, the decision to dissolve the department comes after a three year review of Howard's academic programs. And um, they uh, determine 
that you know the department doesn't offer a uh, doesn't offer a major and mm-hmm. so it could be disbanded and the courses dispersed to other academic units so you'll still be able to you know do like Kyle wait to the last minute and you know slip up upon <laughs> something that could change your life but um i do see where um you know people are saying you know classical history is also black history and so in most colleges you know classics departments they just you know kind of look at different things if we lose it we you know lose a piece of all of us so it it, it seems like it definitely like i said the, the article title just says they fight to save classics department at howard university um but so do you think that it's gonna it's gonna happen jason um Yes, I think it's a done deal. And the reason, yeah. I gotta, again, I got to defend them a little bit only because, yeah, it's a college, but it's still, you know, they're still making money, right? They're still charging tuition, right? And it's not, they, it's not like they didn't, they didn't offer it. They offered it, you know, I think they had like, um, what do they call it? Study abroad programs. They talking about some students that went to, I think, Berkeley or Cal, you know, one school in California. So we're talking about demand. So we're we're in another place where, you know, I'm assuming that this is another area where we don't have a lot of African Americans either practicing or an in, or a lot of interest there. So whether or not we need to nurture that interest, you know how it was with STEM for a, a long time and probably still is, we probably do need to nurture that interest. But if while we're nurturing it, do we need to keep the lights on in a department where nobody's there? Howard is a big place, you know what I mean? So I can, right. you know, again, and just, you know, I'm sure all of you guys went through this with your universities. It's like students are complaining about things every year, right? Tuition hikes, this bill, <laughs> that bill, you know, and yeah. they want they want you to find ways to shave money, you know? Um, so this might've been one of the ways for all, for all, you know, we know. So again, do I think it's important as a whole? Absolutely. You know, I think it's important to have black scholars. I think I was reading a follow up article and they were talking about don't kill me if I'm wrong, but some of our, for lack of a better term, like they were talking about how some of some of Tyler Perry's films, right, have been structured um, loosely after like uh, stories of like Greek mythology and how uh, Toni Morrison, some of her stories, not saying the stories were inspired, but her writing style in general, again, don't kill me if I get it a little wrong you know, were, were, you know, kind of inspired by classics. This is what what Eddie Glob was talking about. So again, I see, and these are people that went to Howard, you know, Morrison. So the importance, absolutely. Do we need to nurture that with our children? Absolutely. But whether they need to be pouring money into a department when they have years of of, of data that says students are going to come in and not choose those classes, they're coming to Howard for something else we got to find another way to go about it. You know, that's all I would say. Yeah. And like I said, um, I imagine this is a financial based decision. And unfortunately it's always tough where you see other departments <clears throat> or other majors that are, are getting on the bulk of like the money, but you get like, you know, the math is in the sciences. Um, but that's where students are enrolling. And so if that's where the students are enrolling and spending the majority of their time, they're getting the funding, they're getting the grants, all these other different things there are going to be some departments again, like you said, after a few years of review and, and, and things of that nature, 
may fall by the wayside. And, you know, learning Greek, learning Latin, learning, you know, all about these various um, ancient civilizations definitely is imperative, I think, because it gives you that well-rounded college education. And exactly. The aspect and, and Howard, of it, you know, it, it's that it's the the business aspect of it. like we've always said, if you want to know about business, go to college because college is a business. And if yeah, money isn't is. flowing into certain departments, you'll know, you'll see the difference in resources. And then unfortunately in this situation, it looks like, you know, the, the department is not going to survive because there's just not enough interest in there, which is, you know, which is tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, it just comes down to those, to the, you know, to the financial factors. Exactly. But I mean, like, yeah, I think I found the article that you were uh, referencing Jason and um you know like it states it's the only such department at a historically black college or university i think for that reason alone you know it, it should stand right i mean yeah i mean you know because because even if it doesn't provide a degree i'm thinking like what about continuing education or people that mm-hmm. you know want to study and maybe maybe the marketing needs to change for it more you know what i'm saying before before the solution is putting the classes in all these other departments. It's like, you know, what if we keep it, but, you know, we advocate for uh, more people to, you know, take these courses or team up with some other organization or institution that can, you know. You know what? It's funny that you said that. And um, I wanted your opinion on this because, you know, we was both grad assistants, right? So you know what it's like to kind of be in that department with all of the different part of the issues that they were having with even them dissolving the classes were saying like for the professors and the scholars, they're like, yeah, it might only be like eight or nine or 10 of us, but there's something about us being together in that same space, you know, facil- you know, in terms of facilitating creativity and that type of learning and growth. And I was thought about that. And again, like I could see, I could, I could see some people seeing it and like looking at it and dismissing that and be like, Oh, y'all don't have to be together. To-. But you know, just thinking about, you know, kind of where I work now and all the psychologists are together, right? And where where we worked in the department, like there was something about, for me as a student, being around all the psychologists with all different disciplines and being able to absorb different things from each one of them with different specialties. So I thought that was a good point. What'd you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And on that note, though, I do think that us three. I mean, we're all pecan grads. We're all like in the Philadelphia area. We should like get together just because I think, you know, like it, it, and sometimes it's like a vicarious impact, you know, like you're going for this, but you leave with so much more. And, you know, um, I think one um, quote in the article uh, stated that the um, it's like an incubator for black uh professors i think that's what the uh comment said or was something relative to that um yeah like that's what uh the comment stated but you know just looking at that um it says you know the classical uh canon also gave them a strong sense of their own humanity giving them the self-confidence to believe in themselves when society sought to destroy that sense of self-worth and so, I mean, like, it's, it's much deeper and bigger than just, you know, dispersing things. I mean, it, and, and I do believe that at other institutions where there is more funding, 
um, which this is the plug for all of us to give back to our alma maters. I said, that's one thing I wanted to do more of that now I'm a postdoc, so I'm still not making (laughs) big money. I'm not, I'm not where y'all at, you know, Dr. Kyle, (laughs) Dr. Jason, I ain't there yet, you know. I need to I'm still, you know, but when that comes, I, I do think that this is just highlighting that. But I say all that to say that at most universities, there's something that's still there just because it's tradition. And somebody donated to to make sure it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, you you're absolutely absolutely correct, and and that should definitely be to be true at the Mecca Howard University. So, in that follow up article, is it is the did they make a final decision? Is it still an existing existment or where? So we it at? was like a public opinion. Um, from so this the lady that who who wrote this for USA Today, she's also referenced in the original article. Um, Anika, I think is her name. Yeah, Anika Prather. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She she's quoted um, in the Washington Post article. And um, I just Googled like Howard Classics Department and this one came up. So I'll send that to you. But no, at the end. It just closed in saying, um, my hope is that Howard University will keep them alive so all of us, you know, the classical works of the canon are for all of us. Um, they tell the human story and connect us all. My hope is that Howard University will keep them alive so all of us, especially future generations of Black students, can know the truth about human, about the human story. Okay. Good. All right. Well, you know, I, I hope, like, like you said, it's definitely something that... Um, that starts with us. It starts with alumni. It starts with us getting involved. Um, and I'm hoping that the pandemic, because I know that affected a lot of different universities, especially with the virtual, a lot of money that they were anticipating this past year didn't come through. Uh, so I, I'm hoping that it is still in existence and, you know, that they people continue to fight for it. You know, I know I am. I'm going to do some more research about it to see how, um, you know, I can support it because like you said, it's the last you know, existing division HBCU. So um, that that pulls at, at at me just being a proud HBCU alum. So um, absolutely. So you know, we'll, we'll we'll stay tuned, stay posted, and um, continue to to follow it, and hopefully be able to support it, keep it alive. You know. Absolutely. All right. Anybody got anything else they wanted to uh, put well, in front of us before we roll out of here? Well, I just wanted to give uh, Dr. Poole, first of all, I wanted to say thank you for Ash- to Ashley for joining us. You know, um, it was definitely a pleasure. It won't be the last time. I was going to say, you know, <laughs> I and, definitely want to come back. This was refreshing for me. You know, oftentimes when you're sharing, you know, you, you, you are hoping that, you know, the people that are listening benefit. But, you know, it's like a two-way street because I definitely feel, you know, charged up. I'm using CBT. I got to go in the office tomorrow face to face. I work remote today. I was just like, oh, gosh. But now I'm feeling like, you know, we all out here. This is what we doing. You know, this is what we signed up for. So the, the interaction is much appreciated. And I definitely hope this isn't the last time. Definitely, yeah. So you charged you. up. Yeah. Dr. Thank Ashley, come back anytime. Ashley. Anytime you got a <laughs> schedule, you got an opening you know, we're here, you know, we're always going to continue to reach out. So you, you're welcome back anytime. We definitely like, I'm going to echo uh, what Jason said. We definitely appreciate you taking time out of your schedule and gracing yep. us with your presence and everything. Like it was amazing. I had a great time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
All right, guys. And next time we just need Jason. We're gonna have to bring him. You go you get the MMs, Kyle. Okay. Oh, so, I'll do yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get the, the blue MMs that he hit that I was, he requests I was, or demands. Five minutes late, you know what I mean? And y'all wanna put me, <laughs> put me in a box. You know? Somebody's you know, somebody's gotta make uh, an entrance. So we, we know who that is. It's all right. <laughs> there we go. You know? Okay. So we all appreciate right, everybody. Okay. Episode eleven, the black psychologist podcast. Listen, watch, share, comment, subscribe. We appreciate everybody supporting us. Um, again, thank you to Dr. Ashley Poole for joining us on this special episode. Uh, until next time, we appreciate everybody seeing. We'll see you next week. Later. All right. All right Take guys. care.